Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, we'll look at how the recall effort against Governor Gavin Newsom appears to be gaining traction, even among some members of Newsom's base, as they question his leadership following a slow and rocky vaccination rollout and worry he's lifting stay-at-home orders too soon. But first, we'll talk to L.A. Times columnist Gustavo Arellano about how the coronavirus was, quote, tailor-made to hurt tight-knit Latino communities who tend to work on the front lines and live in multi-generational households. His new piece for The Atlantic calls out people who willfully ignore public health advice. That's all next on Forum. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Gustavo Arellano's recent piece for The Atlantic about the terrifying toll COVID is taking on Latinos in Southern California begins poignantly. He writes, Every Saturday night from my doorstep, I witness the agony and stupidity that is the coronavirus in Southern California. I live in Santa Ana, a supermajority Latino city that has recorded 18% of all COVID-19 cases in Orange County and 18% of related deaths, despite making up just 10% of the county's population. Gustavo Arellano is a LA Times columnist. Thank you for coming on the show. Gracias for having me. So what do you see from your doorstep? And why does it encapsulate, as you say, the agony and stupidity of the pandemic? So uh, Saturday night, let me set the scene for you. <laughs> right outside my doorstep, I see signs put up by the city asking everyone to wear a mask, be so, you know, stay six feet apart, wash your hands, and with a hashtag, protect Santa Ana, and in Spanish, protege, protege, protege Santa Ana. And then out in the distance, I hear music, various parties with live bands. Down the street, I see the taco truck, where even though there's a sign that says, please don't eat here, people are eating here. And the parties, the parties all over the place. So Santa Ana is just being wrecked. It's a super majority city. Latinos are being wrecked. And yet you have Latinos still partying as if it was 2019 during uh, Cinco de Mayo. And what you're describing, though, is it's playing out all over California. I mean, when people are looking at what happened to our terrible winter surge, a lot of experts blame people abandoning the safety protocols, having pandemic fatigue, gathering more. It had just been so long. Um, and so I wonder a couple things. One is there's clearly that behavior that was upsetting you there are clearly also structural issues that you also point out in your article that are creating the kinds of disparities that we're seeing in cases and deaths. How did you balance that? 
Again, it's it's the agony and the stupidity. I got inspired by the Smokey Robinson song, The Agony and the Ecstasy. Uh, so the agony is, yes, this is a pandemic that is tailor-made to nip at the very, or to get at the very strengths that us Latinos have. We take pride in the fact that we're hard workers, essential workers. We take pride in that we live in multi-generational households. We take pride in the fact that uh, you know we have large social networks. And, and for a pandemic like this, it destroys all of this. It gets into our system and destroys it. So the, there's so many structural issues with that. But at the same time, this is what infuriates me because of that. Latinos should know better. So all of us should be social distancing as much as possible given our situation. And yet the people who are partying, they are destroying our community more than any racist white person, more than any Donald Trump. We're doing it to ourselves. And that's why you use a term in the title of your piece. You say pandejo. <laughs> which sounds a lot like another word in Spanish that our audience is familiar with, but we really, we don't necessarily need to overanalyze that other word here, but explain for us what the word pandejo knows for you. Is, is it exactly what you're describing in terms of you feel like we're just as, we're just as bad? <laughs> Oh, yeah. So pandejo, it's a portmanteau. So it's a combination of a word in Spanish that's kind of harsh. That means a dummy. And then, of course, pandemic. So you combine both of them. It's basically the Mexican version of covid -iot. I did not invent the term pandejo, but I am the John the Baptist of it. So I will promote it as much as possible because I think it gets right to the heart of this se segment of the population. And this is not just happening, of course, in Southern California. It's happening wherever there are Latinos, especially, uh, you know, all across the United States. It's it's a tragedy and it just infuriates me. And I, I have an issue with people not calling out those folks because we should be calling out those people. It's it, it's easy to make fun of the QAnon Trump supporters waving the American flag and saying that a, a chip is in every COVID vaccine. It's another, it, it's far easier to get at them than get at our aunts or uncles who say, oh, coronavirus is going to kill me because el compadre Pingo told me that it was going to do that. But calling it out, a lot of hesitancy comes from the fact that we do live in a society that uh, that has a tendency to blame the victim or reinforce harmful stereotypes about communities. Does that weigh in when you're writing about it? Absolutely not. Again, because we should know better. And those people, our fellow Latinos are doing it to ourselves. So it's not blaming the victims. When I say pandejos, I am not blaming the victims of people who are dying of coronavirus. I am blaming the very people who are killing our community. They are pandejos. Pandejos are not victims. Pandejos are pandejos. Right. But I'm not I'm not saying that you are doing that. I'm saying, do you <laughs> worry right more broadly that we live in a society that has devalued brown lives, for example, that when you put that out there, that uh, that that it can be interpreted by people who are not Latino. Yeah, absolutely. But that's why we, those of us who are in the Latino community, we have to push back about those things. But at the same time, we cannot hesitate in calling out the very people. Like I have received critic, uh, critiques for my piece at the Atlantic saying like, why are you writing this for a white dominant uh, uh, publication? And my response is like, I don't care where... I don't care where I'm writing this as long as the message get, gets across. If I could convince some people to say, hey, maybe you shouldn't be indulging in this uh, behavior or maybe you should be calling out the people within ourselves, then I'm all for it. And I have to say, I've gotten far, far, far more better feedback saying thank you for writing this than people crit critiquing. We as Latinos have to be not afraid of critiquing our own folks as ugly as it may be. And of course, we are not, it's not like we're critiquing people. I'm not critiquing people on the front line. I'm critiquing the people who are partying on a Saturday night with no mask and dancing at a club. And you draw this parallel as well with um, 
people who are doing that and the so-called COVIDiots, right, that word that you were saying earlier, who are also the ones who are infecting essential workers, right, by going to grocery stores, by going to, you know, showing up in emergency rooms and various other places where there are a lot of frontline essential workers and infecting them, that it isn't that different. I, I, I think the biggest difference when I read your critique, Gustavo Arellano, which is why I was so struck by your piece, is what's clear to me is that this calling out feels very much driven by genuine care, right? And not contempt. I mean, you write this really lovely line where you say, the raucous soundtrack to barrio life, that's wonderful to hear during normal times now, during normal times, that it now reminds you of, quote, the orchestra on the Titanic, right, which suggested that you're deeply worried about, you know, death and suffering in the Latino community. Was that the impulse uh, to well, I mean, this? yeah, right at, the start, right at the start, the agony and the stupidity. It, we are getting destroyed as Latinos by the coronavirus. People of color in general, but of course, I'm talking specifically about Latinos because I'm one. I, for the Los Angeles Times, I've been, I mean, it's been nothing but coronavirus speed, doing all these stories and talking to all these people whose families have been forever altered by, uh, you know, by, again, Latinos being hit, uh, hit on both sides. On one hand, you have the people yelling at them at the supermarkets, the COVIDians without masks, at their tools of Bill Gates. And then on the other side, you have the cousins going to party and then coming to your house and saying, oh, I don't need to wear a mask because Mexicans, we have strong blood. I actually just wrote an op-ed piece, uh, a column today from the Los Angeles Times about my dad. My dad was one of those people who didn't want to wear a mask, who, um, you know, who said he, he didn't need the coronavirus because he has a strong blood or whatnot. Let's call it what it is. A, a big strain of that is just flat out toxic masculinity. But he eventually got the vaccine. And the only reason he got the vaccine is because because I'm the oldest and I'm a male and I was finally able to convince my dad to take that vaccine. And it's a sad thing, but I, I think with this uh, coronavirus scandal, we need to call out the, the bandejos in our community. And we're talking with Gustavo Arellano, a columnist for the Los Angeles Times. His recent story for The Atlantic is The Pandejo Movement Destroyed California's Pandemic Progress. What are your reactions to what Gustavo Arellano is saying, your questions, your comments? What would you like to share about COVID's outsized toll in your community? Give us a call, 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook. Email us at forum at kqed.org. And I definitely want to get to that column. So yes, your, your new <laughs> column just out today. My dad was a COVID-19 skeptic, but he got vaccinated, and so can your pandejos. First of all, a couple of things, right? What changed his mind? I mean, can you get a little more specific about what finally did it for him? Frankly, we didn't give him a choice. My my sister made the appointment amazingly in half an hour uh, here in Santana, although my, my, my dad lives in Anaheim. And so I called him and I said, okay, we're going to take you to get the vaccine. He's, and he's like, no, I don't need it. I'm like, no, I'm going to take you. So I show up Saturday morning, have to make myself a quesadilla, and then he starts, I don't need this vaccine. My blood is strong. Literally, though, he said, my blood is strong. I'm positive in the sense I have a positive outlook on, like, on life. And it'll it, there's a chip in it. And I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. No, this is not about you. It's about us, your children, your grandchild, or your grandson, and your 98-year-old mom who you have not been able to hug in a year. If you get the vaccine, this is the first step to get back to normal. And that kind of shut him up once and for all. After that, it was pretty easy. How big a problem is is misinformation around the vaccine, especially in the neighborhood that you live in? 
Uh, it's it's huge. It's huge. I mean, so many of my friends' parents, they'll tell their own children like, oh, well, I heard on the radio. It's always this nebulous radio. I heard on the radio or La Noticias, the news, that there's a chip in coronavirus or that people are dying because of the vaccine or, you know, or they'll just say, I don't need it, which to me is, is incredible because before coronavirus, actually, at least in Southern California, some of the highest rates of vaccinations for like childhood vaccinations were in Latino neighborhoods. So it's not like somehow we're skeptical of vaccines overall. It's just this coronavirus vaccine. And that's actually what I told my dad. He has proof that uh, that va vaccines work. He has a big, those old uh, uh, smallpox scars that you have, that indentation, it's on his mm -hmm. right arm. And I told him, dad, you remember when you got that vaccine when you were a kid, you know how, how bad smallpox and polio were. And he remembered, he's like, yeah, that's absolutely right. So vaccines work, people. So how does he feel and how do you feel now that he has it, that he's 50% of the way there, basically? Well, it's like, uh, should you be congratulated for doing what you're supposed to do? <laughs> I guess. No, but I, I, I told my dad I'm proud of him. I'm like, thank you for paying attention. But that does not mean all of a sudden you you know, you're not going to wear a mask. And my dad, I mean, I let him have the final word in my column for the LA Times. And he said something to the effect, like, tell everyone doubting Lorenzo, like doubting Thomas, who is country, who is stubborn, and who's a macho, that he took the vaccine because he loves his family. And if doubting Lorenzo can do it, then there is no excuse for anyone. And seriously, folks, he's about as bad as a coronavirus skeptic as you could get. And he made it happen. And by the way, he didn't turn into a Bill Gates zombie. I was there. He's same old, uh, my, my same old papi. We're talking with Gustavo Arellano, and we invite you to join the conversation if you have observations, questions, or comments to what Gustavo Arellano is saying. He's a columnist for the Los Angeles Times. His recent story for The Atlantic is the Pandejo movement destroyed California's pandemic progress, and he just has a column out today. My dad was a COVID-19 skeptic, but he got vaccinated. You can join the conversation 866-733-6786. Email us, forum at kqed.org, or reach us on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We're talking about how the coronavirus is taking a particularly hard toll on Southern California Latinos with Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Arellano is a columnist for the Los Angeles Times. His recent story for The Atlantic is the Pandejo Movement Destroyed California's Pandemic Progress. And you can join the conversation if you'd like uh, at 866-733-6786. One of the things that we did last week, um, Gustavo, was we did a show on how the pandemic and losing someone to COVID has made the grieving process even harder than it already has. And we wondered about the long-term impact on communities with such a concentration of loss. The numbers with every headline just get more and more frightening. Um, I think even the public health official for LA County called what's happening like horrifying. 
I mean, do you worry about that? Like, do you think about what long-term impact that will have? Of course, we, we cannot grieve the way we are accustomed to. My sister's godfather, su padrino, just passed away. This is a man we've known our entire life. I grew up with his kids, and we can't attend any service. I mean, it's going to be streamed online, but we can't attend the service. We can't attend the funeral at the request of the family, and it's upsetting. You want to say goodbye. Another column I just did, I did a story about a gentleman named Hashem Ahmad Al-Shileh. He was a Muslim who prepared the bodies of an entire generation of Muslims in Southern California. We're talking about thousands upon thousands of the Muslim faithful. When they passed away, he washed the bodies of men. He, uh, you know, taught women how to uh, wash the bodies of women. And when they would be buried, he'd go into the grave and turn their bodies so they could face Mecca. He himself died of COVID-19. He could not get the burial that he had done for so many people. And now the Southern the Southern California Muslim community is in mourning because they all knew this was, uh, you know, Abu Ahmad was the man who took care of so many of us. Now who's going to take care of us? It is just tragic. It's the way it's just destroying communities of color. Do you think, though, there's some real trauma um, that will need to be addressed? Well, yeah. I mean, when we cannot when we cannot grieve right now, we're going to have to grieve later on. And all that trauma is going to build up on you when the people that you have relied on for decades to bury your dead, they're not there anymore. What are you going to do? We're, we're going to have to move on. We're going to have to live. But the trauma that with that is going to affect us for years, if not decades to come. I mean, we're not even at that point yet. For crying out loud, we're still mostly at stay at home, uh, you know, in a stay at home state of mind, uh, the best of us. So when we do get to a normality, if we could ever get to that, then what? Well, John writes, I've heard similar comments from friends who are Latino. He said they think God will protect them. Did you mention something similar to that? Your dad oh. saying something like that in your column, Gustavo? Oh, yeah. Jesus, La Virgen de Guadalupe, El Santo Niño de Atocha. They'll take care of me. So they don't, you know, so I don't need to worry about coronavirus. But folks, God also made medicine. God also made vaccines. Uh, there's plagues, remember, in the Bible and plagues got cured. So you can't think that, uh, you know, Jesus wouldn't want have wanted you to die of a pandemic. So for folks to say that, they're frankly against Christ. They're frankly against Allah or any God. Let me go to caller Edward in Berkeley. Hi, Edward. Hi. Uh, so I'm, I'm originally from the Imperial Valley. I'm from one of the uh, hardest hit uh, counties of California, uh, COVID-wise. And, um, and it, uh, the community is largely uh, Hispanic, Mexican-American, hardworking uh, field workers. And a lot of them would take down a word used against them, like pendejo, because immediately, immediately Sorry, when you use more amicable language that could potentially help him out. Could, could you say that last part again? It broke up right then. What were you saying, Edward, the last part after you said more amicable language? Yeah, we, there could be definitely an approach that's more amicable that can get people's attention and could get them to change their mind. I personally had a father who was a Trump supporter, Mexican-American, machista as it can be. But if you call him a pendejo, He's not going to respond to whatever you're going to have to say. The buck stops there. You know, you just called him an idiot. That's my uh, comment. I'll take everything else out there. Sure. Gustavo, your reaction to Edward. Yeah, uh, we, the government has been doing that for what this entire year. There's been millions of dollars in campaign spent begging, pleading 
to Latinos to not go out and, you know, to wear masks and all that. And it's not working. So sometimes you have to be harsh and come on, folks, Mexican, Spanish. We're not we're not uh, exactly a PC population. We understand we uh, sometimes we can only understand harsh words. So I, I make no apologies for uh, for using that term. And frankly, I've been hearing more people saying, yeah, that's a really good word to use. And if it's interesting, because if you're going to if you're going to be a coronavirus skeptic, but be offended by a term like pandejo, man, you're real. You're, you know, the, the, your priorities are really skewed. But for people who are thanking you, Gustavo, what are they saying? Why are they grateful? For someone actually calling folk, calling things out as it is, which is the people who are going out and partying and not wearing masks and acting like if nothing happened, they are fools. They are stupid. Let us not use any other words. Let's not talk about structural racism or all that. Those factors do exist. And yet those people still party like nothing. Those are the people that we're targeting. You know, someone who doesn't believe that's one thing, but somebody's going out there and willfully uh, going out and partying and uh, harming other people. Those are the people I'm talking about. Let me go to Margaret in Oakland. Hi, Margaret. Hi. Um, I just wanted to comment on you're bringing up um, important issues about patriarchy, and I wanted to comment on the emotional effects for example, for the spouse of um, a husband who refuses to wear a proper mask and the stress and the fear and anxiety that this can cause within any culture and that um, there can be these hierarchies where um, the male patriarch will not listen to other you know, female voices. And this has been a cause of um, contention in my family around the... Um, pandemic. And I just wanted to make that point. Thank you. Thanks, yeah. Margaret. Gustavo, go ahead. Toxic masculinity, machismo. We talk about it all the time in the Latinx community, especially in the Mexican community. It needs to be defeated. And as I, as I wrote in my column today, toxic masculinity is a hell of a pre-existing condition to have during a pandemic. But if my dad, who's as macho and ranchero as can be, can be convinced to take, you know, to get that corona, uh, the COVID vaccine, then there's hope for anyone. So, Gustavo, I, I hear you definitely calling out, you know, cultural elements or issues, problems that are not necessarily cultural, either just issues, right? Yeah, toxic masculinity is all over the world, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I don't want to make it sound like it is all a cultural thing. But at the same time, like even in your Atlant Atlantic piece, like the subbedding is a cautionary tale about what happens when municipalities lift restrictions too soon. And, you know, our next segment, we're going to be talking about Governor Newsom. And in your piece, you specifically blame lifting restrictions for a big part of the reversal of California's pandemic. So so clearly you see this, you see the structural issues as being a huge piece of this, right? Yeah, th th let me be clear. Pandejos are not just Latinos. The biggest pandejos are the professional ones. Down here in Southern California, almost all of our sheriffs refuse to... Uh, enforce any uh, anti-COVID mandates. Here in Orange County, you had Sheriff Don Barnes saying, oh, I think that stay-at-home orders are unconstitutional, which is rich considering his uh, own department has been under a Department of Justice investigation for a long while now. So the worst pandejos folks are the ones, you know, are the professional ones. But that said, let's not also make excuses for the ones at the bottom who, despite months of, of doctors, uh, uh, celebrities pleading, please wear a mask, please do not party and they st still do it. We, you cannot hold their hand. You have to call them out and say, you are, if, if you're a proud Latino and you're doing this, you're worse than Trump. You're worse than La Migra. You're worse than all these people. You cannot uh, sugarcoat this.
Well, Amy writes, I keep wondering what the bottom line is for anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers, and this gives clear insight on calling it out and talking honestly. I wish we could continue to get insights on this kind of approach, how we humor and honestly convince people to believe the facts and act responsibly. So we're just about to move to a segment about the recall effort against Governor Newsom. Gustavo, you want to leave us with any thoughts on (laughs) the governor's handling of this pandemic? The worst thing he did was go to the French laundry. He had some moral authority, but then he's not wearing a mask. He's eating out, eating outside of his pod. He's eating, uh, you know, in a somewhat enclosed area and he's eating at a fancy restaurant. If they had caught him eating at El Castellito in the Mission District, there would not have been as much uh, uproar as he has right now. Well, Gustavo Arellano, it's been great to talk with you and, and thanks so much for coming on to talk about your piece. Gracias. Gustavo Arellano, columnist for the Los Angeles Times. His recent story for The Atlantic is the Bandejo Movement Destroyed California's Pandemic Progress. And if you want to read more about his dad, went from being a COVID-19 skeptic to getting vaccinated, there's a column in the LA Times on that too. I'm Mina Kim. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.